Welcome again, friends. Welcome, Lou. Good to be back here. This story started out in a very fascinating manner. Make sure you watch the last podcast, episode uh, 11, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the story. Yeah, uh, friends, for those of you who may not have heard episode 11, before you start listening to this, you must go back and listen to that. Otherwise, it won't make much sense to you. So today we're going to be talking about the Indian Holocaust, part two. But in order to do that, to understand it, you really should listen to part one. Um, so I'm assuming that you have, and I'm going to take uh, uh, keep going from here. So we need to understand how important salt is. Salt tax hurts the poor, doesn't hurt the rich. A tax on salt, the rich can afford to still buy uh, salt. So a tax on salt is like taxing air which you need to breathe, oxygen mm. or water. Without air, water and salt, you cannot live. And you will see as we go along photographs of uh, that Lou will put on hopefully, which show you what happens to people when they are starved of salt and food. So there's no history in the history books of salt deprivation. Nowhere have you seen. If you have, please write to me and tell me that you've seen it. Um, and there's no history in the history books of salt deprivation. They call these people that you're seeing uh, on, on these photographs here that Lou is showing, they say that these are victims of famine. Now, yes, food is necessary, but also without salt, there's tremendous weight loss. So just as an example, in a temperate climate, like here in the United States, if you don't take salt, you're going to lose in four days, two pounds. Mm -hmm. In a tropical hot climate where there is heat and you're sweating a lot, you're going to lose four pounds in two days. And if you the, keep... The salt helps you retain water. That's a good point. I'm going to yes. come to that because essentially salt and water have a fixed concentration in your blood. So if you increase, like if you go to a movie and you have a very salty popcorn, what happens? You get thirsty. Mm -hmm. And you, your body says, now because of the higher level of salt in your blood, I need to drink more fluid. If you in fact take less salt in your system, you're going to be urinating or getting rid of more fluid to bring that concentration level down. And that's a very good point, Lou, that people lose weight because they lose water and it's water weight, but they also lose um, uh, other weight. Yeah. All human beings need salt. It's an essential part of um, uh, the uh, diet and body. We today get salt in everything we eat and yeah. in the past. If you, anything you buy in the supermarket has added salt because salt makes things more delicious. You don't realize that the amount of uh, salt you need is little. And if you don't get that little amount, your total body has six ounces of salt in it. So yeah, we have a hard time relating to this because most of the days now we're avoiding salt as much as possible. Yes. It, it so, seems to be so, inundating us. Yes. Because of that, so when you take more salt, this is what happens. You're the the amount of water you drink is more so the concentration of the blood volume goes up and as a result they say you've got high blood pressure whereas if you lose salt 
you lose water, your blood volume goes down and your blood pressure drops. And this was the key at the time that people, uh, uh, people were dropping dead. So we're, I'm a little ahead of myself, but since we, we, we brought it up, let me tell you what happens. When your blood pressure drops and your blood volume drops, the person who has the salt deprivation starts to feel unwell. He says, I don't, there's las lassitude, apathy, uh, tiredness. And he says, I just don't feel well. He doesn't understand why he's not feeling well. He doesn't know that it's from the lack of salt. And he then faints. And once he's unconscious, in order to take salt in, you have to feed him, right? Mm. You can't feed an unconscious person. So the only way that modern medicine does this is by starting an IV. And intravenously, they give you salt, sodium chloride, and that's known as a saline drip. A saline drip is the most common thing that people give because it's salt. Mm -hmm. And a saline drip, as soon as the emergency room e ERs, uh, they give saline drip. Now, without that saline drip, which in the 17th and 18th centuries, even the 19th century, early on, there were no uh, saline drips right. or IVs, and especially the majority of the Indian population was out in the villages. There were no doctors there even. In the villages, if you've ever seen a village uh, of in the Indian countryside at the time, there were millions and millions of people who worked in the farms, but there were no physicians, no IVs, no doctors. And in fact, let me read to you what uh, one of the physicians sent by England to India said about salt deprivation. He said, <clears throat> Water and so this was a, a physician called Dr. H. L. Marriott from the Middlesex Hospital in England. He said that the biggest problem is the water and salt depletion. He said it was my duty in India to do special tours in the hottest weather to observe heat effects. Um, and he said there were thousands of admissions to the hospital for heat effects because of salt depletion which complicated the picture in many illnesses. So Marriott observed that these people's deaths, as you see in the photographs in front of you, are ascribed to various other things, never to salt depletion. They're ascribed to the British in their uh, notes. Many people would just be burned, cremated, or buried without even a death certificate because there were millions of them dying. But those that were entered into a hospital would be given a death certificate saying they died of toxemia. That was a common one. Or as Marriott suggested, uremia or circulatory failure. And he says, Dr. Marriott wrote and actually complained to the parliament that their deaths are ascribed to toxemia, uremia or circulatory failure when they have in fact died from a simple lack of salt and could easily have been saved. So many of these people that you see are dying because of the lack of salt, not necessarily because of the lack of food. So let me keep going. So we need salt, all humans and animals need salt. We never have salt deficiency. Sugar is not an essential part of our diet. We don't need sugar. We can, we can never have sugar in our lives and nothing mm -hmm. will happen to us. But if you don't eat salt, as, as we have seen, we will die. So the constant 
percentage of sodium and chlor uh, water in the body, sodium chloride and water in the body is constant. So two things that cause excessive sweating. One is a hot temperature outside, so when the temperature goes up, like in India, it goes up to 115 degrees, 120 degrees, you sweat. And when they sweat, you lose sodium chloride and that's salt. And in hot climates, especially when you're working, doing physical labor, guess how many cups of sweat have been measured uh, that you lose? Oh, I don't know. In a high climate like that, I, I don't know, a cup? Four cups of sweat per wow. day. Yeah. That is three ounces of salt per day. So here's a farmer in India, in the heat, working outside, sweating. He's losing half of the total amount of salt that his body needs. But to buy even one fraction of one ounce costs him his entire month's uh, salary. He can't yeah. afford it yeah. for him. Then he needs it for his wife and his kids and everything like that. So there's lack of salt. That's for temperature causes, outside heat causes sweating, physical labor causes sweating, and if you have fever or uh, malaria or something like that, you sweat. All of these conditions in a country like India are common. They sweat and they lose salt and there's nothing to replace it. So what happens when the volume of blood falls because the sweat, sodium chloride has been lost, the blood pressure falls, the person becomes unconscious, he cannot speak, and he cannot ask for salt and he dies. You cannot recover from that. Hmm. So there's water that if you, if a person is not having enough water, he says, I'm thirsty. You go to a, uh, you're thirsty, you say, I need water. Even when you're falling unconscious, you can keep giving pieces of little piece of water through the mouth and he'll still swallow it, but you can't give salt. Um, weight loss. Also, temperate climates, as I said in our earlier uh, podcast, two pounds in five days, tropical climates, four pounds in two days. And if it continues, the weight drops even more precipitously. There's a doctor by the name of Dill, D-I-L-L, -L, from Harvard, who tried this experiment. He did not take salt for two days, lost four pounds. Hmm. But this weight loss is tremendous, and it would continued. So heat exhaustion causes... Uh, lassitude, apathy, headaches, muscular weakness, all of these things are from loss of salt. Uh, those are the first sy symptoms. Those cause fainting. But if you further deplete the salt in a person, he gets anorexia. Anorexia is loss of appetite, hmm. nausea, and vomiting. And when you vomit, you're losing excessive amounts of salt. The other thing that causes a person to lose salt is diarrhea. And mm -hmm. diarrhea is very common in India. Uh, typhus, uh, typhoid, uh, sorry, cholera, all of these things cause diarrhea and you lose large quantities of salt in there. So when you don't replenish it, you go into salt depletion, which is why so many people, millions of people died. And when you don't have salt in your system and you're not feeling good, your immune system doesn't work. So you're Tolerance to these illnesses is also less. Hmm. And this, this is what the doctors told uh, Parliament, and yet Parliament did nothing about it. So lack of salt causes loss of resistance to diseases, especially typhus, cholera, amoebiasis, etc. 
And as I said before, diarrhea causes a high loss of salt, severe dehydration and death. Um, and then fevers such as um, malaria, etc. So this is all something that I've taken from a book by Derek Denton, D-E-N-T-O-N, called, the title of the book is The Hunger for Salt, an Anthropological, Physiological, and Medical Analysis. Hmm. So now in the 1800s, there were several parliamentary inquiries into the salt supply and salt taxation in British India. There were companies who, who caused these parliamentary inquiries into the salt supply. First, it was when Robert Clive was alive, it was because of other parliamentary people that were jealous of his what he was doing. After he died, interestingly, the amount of salt that was being manufactured in India was suppressed severely down to only the company that Clive created having it. So there were huge amounts of salt that could have been made in India, but wasn't. So the salt was being exported from England. This was British salt. And they were such shrewd people. They said, sending the salt from England to India should not cost us any freight because the salt is being used as ballast in the ships to keep yeah. the, ball the ships steady. Right. So the ballast would be kept inside. The salt had no freight coming uh, to India was sold in India. And these British salt manufacturers said, we want to make sure that we supply more salt. So they would go to the parliament and say, you should allow more salt to be sold. So that's why these several parliamentary inquiries into the salt supply were by companies exporting salt to India from Britain. The other people who demanded inquiries were the British doctors who were in India and saw the terrible things that were happening by people dying in the millions. And these doctors testified that the high tax uh, was insufficient for these people and therefore they had loss of resistance to cholera and other uh, diseases. <clears throat> the British made no concession in years of famine or disease when most people wouldn't have money to buy food or salt. And as a result, so here's what they did. When they first went to India, the British, they said, how can we extract more money? One way they did it was to tax the land. So they would go to a farmer who had a healthy farm with lots of vegetables growing there and say, your tax is going to be this. Then it was increased. Year after year, it was increased double, triple, hmm. and kept going up and up. When he could no longer pay for the uh, tax, they would shut him down. And they say, if he had no money to pay the taxes, he certainly had no money to buy salt. Right. And he certainly had no ways to grow the farm. Or, so the farm would die. And the farmer would die. And then his family would die. And as a result, the farm would be laid barren. Many, many, many farms in India just went from healthy, lush farmland to dead ground because of the lack of the ability of the farmers to pay this tax. So the farmers died, the farmers stayed untended. Now, in 1943, <clears throat> Winston Churchill, although we think of him very highly here as a literary person, he had tremendous racist uh, tendencies. 
This is a known fact. If you just if you just Google Winston Churchill's racist comments, you'll be shocked. Hmm. Anyway, he was told because the British throughout the 200 years that they were there found that it was easier to just take vegetables, fruits, rice, grain, wheat from India and bring it first to England before the war and the British would have it at a cheaper price mm -hmm. Deep, uh, and depleting the supplies in India to the point of famine. The second thing they did is during, from, during the Second World War from 1939 to 1945, they sent almost all of it out of India to the British soldiers all across the world and then to Britain itself, leaving nothing for the Indians. Hmm. So if you look at the parliamentary records, you will see that Churchill was told this and Churchill was told that the famine will be blamed on the facts that you as the British government and your war, uh, uh, what is it called? The war uh, uh, people that surround you that decide what to do, where to do it, yeah. uh, will be blamed for this. And he said, he's reported to have said, that the famine is blamed on the fact that Indians were breeding like rabbits. Hmm. And if Churchill asked, if the shortages were so great, how come Mahatma Gandhi is still alive? Hmm. Churchill and his cabinets were warned repeatedly by the British Viceroy. The British Viceroy in India said for years before 1943 that the, quote, exhaustive use of resources for the war effort could result and will result in famine, but it opted to continue exporting rice and wheat from India to elsewhere in the empire, close quote. The 1943 famine in Bengal killed over three million people, but it was not because of drought or food shortage. The food shortage was there, not there. There was plenty of food. It was just sent outside. Plus, combined with the fact that the salt was so expensive that the salt caused this and the hedge, which didn't allow the salt to come from, which was easily affordable and free from the uh, ocean, was not allowed to be uh, obtained. Um, this was quote unquote, this was a huge and unique famine caused by policy failure of the British government instead of any monsoon failure. There should have been enough supply to feed the region. The mass debts came about as a combination of wartime inflation, speculative buying, panic hoarding, all of which pushed the price of food out of the reach of poor Indians. The famine was caused and exacerbated by the decisions of Churchill's wartime cabinet. Um, so military soldiers were rationed one ounce per day uh, and given that, made sure that the British soldiers got one ounce per day. Of Even salt. Of salt, sorry. Yes. Even prisoners that were kept in British uh, prisons in India got one ounce per day. But the average person who was working in the, out in the sun, who was sweating so much, got a fraction of one ounce per day. And these people just died because of that. Yeah. In 1836, the House of Commons in London held an inquiry. The East India Company was eager to prove that the tax towards the person's salt was able to afford less than eight ounces a month. Eight ounces a month when he needed 30. In eight, and this was in Parliament. 
1869, the annual report of the Commissioner of Inland Customs showed that the average consumed by adults cannot exceed eight pounds per month, per year, eight pounds per year of salt. Many of the poor could hardly afford even that. Yeah. The British made no concessions of tax in years of famine or disease when most would have no cash to buy salt or food. So, um, so let me term, stop. In terms yeah. of the salt, because I'm, I'm having trouble focusing in on this, and I think it changed during the course of this history that we're talking about. The salt deprivation for Indians was about the tax, but there was plenty of salt to be had. The British just wouldn't relent on the economics of it. Yeah. <laughs> so there are mountains of pure salt. You know, salt can be obtained from a lake. There are many lakes in India where the water is salty and all over the world, there's salt lakes. When the summer comes and the water evaporates, that leaves large tracts of land which has salt, which is dirty because it's mixed with earth. And you then take that and it's, it's impure salt. You need to crystallize it. You need to evaporate it. You need to distill it. And then you get the salt. So it could be expensive to do. There's one, also... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, there's, also, there's also oceans on three sides of Indian's uh, yeah. country. You can boil the salt water and make salt from there. That's also somewhat expensive because you have to boil the water and do some manual labor. However, if you go into the mountains, there are mountains that are huge, which has pure crystal salt. And it's as easy as taking a pickaxe and just taking a big chunk of 100% pure salt. This is all over India. India was one of the richest producers of salt and still has huge amounts of salt. But the British would not allow that to come into the hands of the average Indian. And that's why those that hedge was created so that anybody that came through, you either had to pay uh, through your nose, pay it what you would earn in a one month, two months, three months for an ounce of salt, which was then adulterated by the British soldiers to make more money. So much of this doesn't make sense because even for the British, it seemed to work counter to their own interests. They needed supply for World War II. At one point, you talked about them um, shutting down production in India to uh, prop up British merchants bringing salt into India. Did that happen at one point? Yeah. yeah. Throughout that, they said, look, it's easier for us. I mean, they were so narrow-minded yeah. that, I mean, if you want food, you want the farmers to be able to produce food. Right. If you shut their farms down by saying, look, you can't pay us taxes, we're going to shut your whole farm down, and the land just dies, how are they going to produce food? And how are you going to get food to send back to England? But in their craziness, they said, you don't pay us taxes, we're going to shut you down. You die, tough. Um, the whole farming system just died as a result. Seems and like so a lot of the problem was the East India Company was a financial institution, whereas the government was worried about the war. They were worried about, you know, government in general and supplies from India. But East, in East India was the East India Company was just worried about the economics of it and trying to squeeze out as much money as possible. That's being very fair to the British government to say that because that only happened till the early 1800s. Oh, I see. At which point the East India Company was basically the British government said, Parliament said, we, these people are making too much money. 
we need to take over. Yeah. So the British government, after the 1857 uh, mutiny, when the British government took over, they were uh, handling all of this and they didn't change a thing. But again, a lot of it doesn't make sense because it, India was so fertile for them. And yet you would think they would uh, be interested in sustaining that as opposed to just bleeding it dry. Yeah. Well, it seems like their main intent was to just take a, every penny they could get and move it to England and then leave it as a barren country and say, bye, the heck with you. Yeah. Whereas any smarter country would say, listen, we're the colonialists here. We want this to continue. Let the farmland keep growing. Let the farms keep growing. Let the people become, you know, we'll take a piece of it. But they just let it dry. There's a quote. I want to give you that quote. He says, if I can only find it. He says, when you want to bleed something, you take the needle, the lancet, and put it where the blood is congealed the most, where it is the maximum. Yeah. And he's saying, this British person, the Secretary of State, said, take the needle and put it where the blood is the most. In other words, saying, wherever you can get the most money, point it there. Take the money from that point and move it to England. So, and, and when they left, when Mahatma Gandhi actually had these discussions with him in 1945, uh, finally they realized that they were not getting much more for the amount of pressure and expense they were taking to take money out of India. By that time, it was drained completely. Yeah. There was no more quote-unquote blood or money left in there. The U.S. was after them to say, this is being very unfair what you're doing. The rest of the world was saying, look, you didn't like what Hitler was doing. You were opposed to him doing what he was doing in World War II. What you're doing in India is just as bad, if not worse. You need to leave. So they said, okay, so even then they didn't leave. They let, spent the last two years getting from 1945 at the end of World War II to 1947, when they ultimately left, they spent those last two years draining every last yes. drop of whatever they could get before they left. There was no but regard. Make a good point. There was no regard for the Indian people or the Indian culture or the Indian country. No, correct. Right. <laughs> and we have... So, we have a couple more episodes of this coming, huh? Yes, yes. Yeah. The, 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 it show, the couple more episodes actually will show you what salt deprivation does to the genetics of a person's, of a, of a, of a culture. What did salt deprivation did to the pregnant women, to the animals, to human. I mean, we know that the younger generation now is sprouting much taller than their fathers were in India. I mean... Uh, you see children now who are six feet, six feet, one inch when their parents or their grandparents were like five feet, six inches. Hmm. And science has shown that genetics, when you prevent, when you don't give proper nutrition, number one, and salt, number two, that it the, the growth is stunted. The animals, all of the animals that were not fed properly, the cows, the horses, they, they too need salt. See, carnivores... Uh, who eat other animals don't need as much salt because they get it from the herbivores. So there are physical are and cultural repercussions to this day. Tremendous, yes, to yeah. this day, to this day. And that's why I want this story to be spread to somebody that could take it to the next level. Journalists or government officials, attorneys, 
Um, and I'd be happy to help in any way I can um, to, to take this to the next level. So please write to us at ariseArjuna at gmail.com. You were saying something, Lou? No, uh, just uh, we have, we're going to delve into this a little bit further. It's a fascinating story. And again, it's something that hasn't been on our forefront or the top of our plate here in the Western world. And uh, it's fascinating bringing this story to light. It, it's Holocaust. I love that we chose Holocaust for the title because it elevates it to a level of concern that we hadn't pre previously given it. Yes. One thing we didn't talk about in this episode or the last is the number of people who died and how much they, what the British used to give as numbers for this that were falsely uh, lowered uh, compared to the real numbers and that they died because of these policies of not giving them food, exporting the food outside of India and not giving them salt. And again, we're all familiar with British colonialism and understood you know, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. But you start getting into Winston Churchill in the mid-century, in the 20th century, and that's stunning to people. That's stunning to me anyway. Yeah, that was during my lifetime. Yeah, People my age, uh, it, it's during our lifetime. It's recent. While they still held their quote-unquote stiff upper lip and nose up in the air. Yep. As the British tend to do, yes. Yeah. Okay, check out past episodes of Ancient Stories here. And on uh, if you want audio only on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on YouTube as well, uh, talk to us on Facebook and talk to us at ariseajuna at gmail.com. Thank you so much, friends. See you next time.